The following is a North Carolina Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. Could God use you as a missionary to your community? Um, the answer to that question, you don't get to leave early, but the answer is yes, um, is the answer to that question. I think you probably all know that. Um, and really, what we want to do um, today is to tell you some, some biblical framework um, for how this uh, looks um, biblically, um, and then tell you some of our stories. And I think, I, 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 while I was preparing, I realized a strategy for putting Jason and I up here, because they say, if these two guys get up there and blubber their way through this, and God is using them, then it will be overwhelmingly obvious that God can use anyone. Um, and, I, and, and I thank the convention for being confident in my uh, weakness. Um, so the answer to that is, is yes, and, and we want to show you that there are some biblical frameworks that, that we will walk in, um, but every story will look different. Um, I, I am under the conviction, the longer that I'm in ministry, that we do a disservice to people um, when we package and present discipleship uh, programs or evangelism programs and uh, talk about it like it's easy and neat and clean, um, because it is not that. Um, it is very simple. It's a very, it's a very simple thing, but it's a very difficult thing. Um, you will cry, you will laugh, um, you will feel uh, incredibly weak and uh, inefficient and incapable, um, and in those moments, God will show up, and it will be beautiful, and He will get glory, and it will be worth investing your life in. Um, so we want you to see that it is messy. Um, we have no uh, program to sell you that will be perfect, um, but we have a Savior who is, um, and, and we are going to make much of Him, and, and we want to to talk about how he has done that in our lives um, and, and through our ministries and hear from you as well. So um, could God use you as the missionary to your community? Um, I want to start by, I, I do this in a lot of breakout sessions, I want to start by getting us all on the same page. Um, the, there's lots of, of strategies, ideas, tools for, for what it means to be an effective missionary, how, how you can be a missionary, um, but I believe that we, we, we know the answers to most of these questions. So I'm going to paint a picture for us, and then I want you all to talk me through what we would do so we are all on the same page. So let's say that you um, are on a plane to a, a destination that you don't know where you're going, right? You get on the plane, um, the plane is says, the captain says, I'm going to take you, I'm going to drop you off somewhere where there's no believers in Jesus Christ. I'm going to drop you off in this, this uh, island, country, village, wherever it is in the world. There's no believers of Jesus Christ, and God is God's calling you by this captain kidnapping you on the plane. Um, and, and, uh, and, and you are going to, to go there for the purpose of planting a church. All right, that, That's the situation that you have found yourself in on this plane. Um, we can all be in it together if you need some camaraderie. Um, so we, we are on this plane. We have landed. We have gotten off. Um, and what I want us to do is think through what are the steps that we would take. What are the things that we would do? We know we are here um, to see a church planted. Um, there are no believers here. We are missionaries to this uh, mystery location. Um, so what, and y'all talk to me, what, what things would we do? What would we do first? Pray. pray. <laughs> well, we've probably been praying the whole plane ride, but the first thing we're going to do is pray. Okay? What types of things are we going to pray? Personal peace. Personal peace. God, you give us love for the yeah, give us a heart for the people. Yeah. So we are, we are praying all of these things, um, and we need God for all of those things, right? Um, and if we skip this part, if we don't have the things that we, we just said we were going to ask God for, nothing is going to come to fruition um, of any eternal significance, right? Um, this is one that's easy to, to skip through, right? 
Um, almost every ministry thing is like, yeah, you need to pray to start the session. You need to pray to do this. We, we did it today. You need to pray. It's what you do is pray. And, and it's almost like uh, an assumed reality for when we do, when we gather and we do things. But, but we cannot skip this. Um, there are many churches, mine included, that needs to spend a lot of time doing this. To, just to get your heart in tune, to love somebody, um, man, that can be hard sometimes. Um, and so, especially if you're in a, in a um, context, you're in a community um, that maybe you are not familiar with the cultures around you, you don't know much about them, um, maybe you're even annoyed by the community around you, um, you need to spend a lot of time before the Lord um, saying, God, you've put me here, you put me on this plane and landed me in this place. Help me to love these people, help me to have access to, to, move, to, have access to them in their hearts. So we're going to pray, all right? I agree with that, that's a good answer. What are we going to do after, after we've prayed? We're gonna, we can probably assume we're going to pray throughout, but we've prayed, now, now what are we going to do? Okay. Okay, so we're going to learn as much as we can about the people. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that? Agree with that? We good with that? We're, we're on a team now. We're, it's all of us now. All right. So we're going to... Um, all right, so we're going to study. Um, and what are we going to do next? How, how are we going to study? Let's, let's, let's start there. By engaging the people. Okay. So we have, to, we have to get around the people to learn about them, right? It's good to read books. It's good to, to study, good to ask people. Um, but, but we are going to learn the community by being in the community, engaging the people. All right? Um, so we, we, we're seeking to learn about them. We began to um, be around them, proximity to them, engage them. What are we going to do next? Okay. We're going to build a relationship? Okay. So we've prayed about it. Um, we've we've began to learn the the culture, the community, and engage with the people. We're building relationships. Now, what are we doing? We're seeking to see a church plant. So, what are we going to do next? Okay, invite them for a Bible study. Other thoughts? Partner with somebody else. Partner with somebody else. We're we're not from that area. Mm-hmm. Finding somebody we can connect with. I mean, it's part of learning the community. It's part of praying. Mm-hmm. God would lead us. Sometimes translators in other places are mm-hmm. uh, believers. Yeah. Well yeah. Okay. All right. So we'll put that uh, going back in here. We're going to look for people to, to partner with. The, somebody said persons of peace earlier. Um, so that that's you know we'll, we'll look for that um, when we're engaging um, and building relationships. Um, so Bible study, open the Word of God, um, communicate God's truth, communicate the gospel, share the gospel. Right. Um, so we are going to, um, I'm just going to put gospel. We're going to share the gospel through conversation, through Bible study, um, however we can. Um, we're going to communicate the gospel, okay? So we've prayed, learned about the community, built relationships, found persons of peace. Um, within those uh, uh, engaging in relationships, we've shared the gospel, and uh, some people have come to Christ. Praise God, man. This, this is incredible. People are coming to Christ. You know, the, the gospel will do that, right? The gospel is the, the power of salvation. So, and, and we believe that, and that's why we prayed for that. So now we have people that are followers of Jesus. What are we doing now? Discipling them, yes. All right, so we have these new believers. We are discipling them, um, uh, starting off with, with milk, leading to meat discipleship, seeing them mature. Um, so now we have a group of people in our home, in the coffee shop, uh, I don't know what this mystery village has there, but we're, we're, we're meeting with them, this group of disciples, 
um, and, and walking them through what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what are we going to do next? Teach them to do the same thing? Okay, alright. Um, are we skipping a step, you think? Not, not, maybe not for teaching them to do the same thing. I think that's part of discipleship. But we have multiple disciples, followers of Jesus, professed followers of Jesus, seeking to follow Him with their lives. Um, what are we going to do with these multiple disciples? Yeah, we're going to gather them together and we're going to say, what is a, what is a biblical church? Do we, we're going to start a capital campaign and we're going to get us a building, right? We're going to get an Awana program up and running. Now we, we have people that want to follow Jesus. We're going to look at Scripture and say, this is what it means to be a faith community. We're going to commit to one another in, in, in submission to the Lord. Um, we're going to gather... Gather as a church. Okay? Um, and then after we've gathered as a church, what are we, what are we going to do next? Um, before the building, I, we, I've done foreign missionary work. We gather the people under the tree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just to be clear, I was definitely joking about the capital campaign. Um, we're going to gather where, wherever is, is available and, and most culturally appropriate. Yeah, we're going to gather them together. Yeah. Wherever. Wherever wherever works, right? Um, so yeah, so we're, we're gathering together, um, fellowshiping together, pr- singing praises together. Uh, our, our disciples are learning what it means to share the gospel. They're going out and sharing the gospel. Um, what, are, what are we doing next? Developing leaders, right? We've got a healthy church. God has gifted this church with people that may have been lost when we started this, never heard the name of Jesus, but now they're following Him, and God has gifted everyone in, in certain ways, right? And we're going to develop leaders from the community. Who is going to be the best people from this community to reach this community? That's not what I meant to say. Who is going to be the best at reaching this community? There's people from this community, right? So we're going to develop them as leaders. Um, and now... Uh, from this uh, group uh, that we've gathered together as a church, we have leaders that are indigenous to the community, um, and they are able to lead and, and run this thing on their own. What are we going to do next? Yeah, we're either going to we're going to go somewhere else, or we're going to send them to plant somewhere else, right? So um, we're going to we'll, we'll say multiply or plant. So Baptist, you're going to have to form a committee. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we got on this plane uh, to plant a church, and all, all of us, most of our names start with J, but everything else from others uh, were from different places and different churches, um, but we can agree relatively easily, I don't know how we, long we've been talking, like 10-15 minutes um, on the key elements that it would take for us to go somewhere and plant a church, to be missionaries to, 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 some, uh, to some place where there's not... Um, followers of Jesus and Planet Church. So we know the answer to the question. It's, it's, everyone in this room could, could, if I gave you a blank piece of paper as a quiz to start this thing off, what steps would you take? It might be different wording, but we would all have these exact same steps. I've done this in, in several breakout sessions. This always happens. Everyone knows what to do, right? Um, and if we are able to do this on some mystery place after we've been kidnapped on a plane, um, we can do this in our communities. It's the exact same thing. We can do this in our communities. Um, if, if you read through Acts 13 and 14, this is exactly the model that you see. This has always been the model. Um, this will always be the model to, to, to be a missionary, um, disciple maker, and church planter in any community, in any context. Now, 
This is a framework, right? We're building houses a framework. There's lots of different ways it can look. Sometimes there's, we'll meet under a tree. Um, sometimes we'll meet in a building. Sometimes we'll meet in a horse, like a horse trough. There's all kinds of different opportunities and ways that you could fill this in. Um, and that's what Jason and I are going to do is tell you a little bit about um, our stories and how God has used us. Um, hopefully to show you that it's, it's, this, this is a very smooth transition. You're not going to plan a church in 15 minutes, right? Um, there's going to be some tears and crying, and I want to go home all throughout this. God, does this even work? God, are you even here? Oh, wow, God, there you are. That was incredible. The next day, God, where did everybody go? Like, that's the way it looks. It's painful. There's bruises. There's heartache. Um, but this is the process. Um, so what does it look like in practice? Um, and what I want to do is I'm going to walk you through um, each of these steps in, in our context, the context that I did, and Jason's going to do the same um, in his context. And our churches are very different. Um, the, the work that we have done to reach our communities is very different. I'm uh, pocket 29 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. You're pocket 32, 32 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, different parts of the city, um, different cultures. My, I am um, in southeast Winston-Salem, uh, what's typically characterized as an inner city community. Um, lots of wonderful, beautiful people that, that we love dearly. Um, but there's a, a great deal of poverty there and all the things that, that plague um, Communities that, that suffer from pro- poverty. Um, uh, I read, or I heard, I was reading, listening to something on the way over here, um, and he said that the opposite of poverty is not um, wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. Um, and so the, the poverty is not an indication of the, the image of God on the people there. Um, the poverty is a, is a symptom of the brokenness in this world. Um, but that's the context that I've planted in. Um, so I was sent out from my church, um, and we began to pray um, for this community. We, we would walk around in prayer. Um, we would have prayer walks um, with, with people from other churches that would come and pray for us. We would drive through and pray. Um, we would pray with people as we met people. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed a whole lot. And the more that we pressed into the community and began to pray, the more we realized that we had to pray more um, because, because God was going to have to do this. Um, one, one story about that, we were uh, hoping to have people at our home for Bible study um, one Sunday, and nobody showed up. Um, and so we were discouraged initially, but I was like, all right, um, we, we, this didn't happen, um, but, but we, can, we can do this, right? So we loaded up my children in the car, and we're riding around to some multifamily housing communities that we know people in um, or that we were seeking to engage. And we went to one that was near my house, but we know nobody there um, at the time. We didn't know anybody there. Um, and we rode through, and we prayed, and I asked my um, six-year-old to pray. I asked my four-year-old to pray. Me and my wife prayed, and we asked for a person's peace in that community. Um, and then we were leaving. We're going to another one. We're going to do the same thing. And on the way, um, we saw, this was a mile and a half down the road, uh, a woman on the bus sitting on, on the curb by herself. Um, and I pulled over and I said, my, my wife's name is Doug. I said, Doug, why don't you go talk to her? Uh, ask you and pray for her. Ask how she's doing, you know, what her name is. And she said, sure. So she hops out, runs over there. Um, and I see them talking. And uh, she comes back with the woman to the car and uh, they're telling me their conversation, how it was going. Doug was able to pray for her. And she said, I'm waiting on the bus, um, but your wife said it would be okay if I got her ride home. I said, sure. I said, where do you live? And she said the exact apartment complex that we had just came from and asked for a person to peace. So we were praying. My children got to see that God answers prayer. God hears prayer, answers prayer, hears and answers their prayer. Um, we met a person of peace. Um, she just came to my house this morning. She comes very early and very late and visits with us, but we love her. Um, and, and she was at my house this morning before we left. Um, so we, we did a lot of prayer. Um, for entry, um, we moved into the community. Um, it's, it's very important for us to, to have proximity um, it's not a necessity. I hear people uh, often say that, that um, you don't have to, to move into the community to, to do ministry work, and I believe that. 
Um, I think that's true. But for us, it's very important. I couldn't imagine us being able to do what we do outside of, of that type of proximity. Um, so we moved in. The importance for that is that uh, when gunshots keep my neighbors up at night, they keep me up at night. Um, when the, the grocery store is closed down for my neighbor, it's closed down for me. Um, when uh, the cookouts are going on and people are gathering together, I get invited to those. It's important for us to be in the same rhythms as the people that we're seeking to reach. Um, so proximity is important to us. We said we're going to go, we're going to immerse our lives there um, and spend our lives there. Um, and that, so when, when I get a call late at night and said, Pastor, the police are on the way, um, I need you over here, I can walk t- to my neighbor's house. Um, I don't have to say I'll be there in 20 minutes because he'd be gone in 20 minutes. I'm able to talk with him, calm him down, save him from a few charges that he may have gotten um, out of anger before that. Um, but proximity is important um, for that to happen. So we moved in. Um, it was the way we gained entry. And then we just talk with people, meet people, um, and and interact with people as we see them in our daily life. Um, the the key tool for us in this, and I would I would encourage everyone to practice this, in, uh, is to see your house um as not your house, but the Lord's house, um, as, a, as a tool. Uh, when I was in ministry prior to, to this, I saw my house as my refuge. Um, I dealt with people all the time from church, so when I got home, I was where I was hiding. Um, but God wrecked that for me, and, and our door is, is open um, for, for people to come. We have people around our table for meals almost every single night. Um, if nobody's there, my children are like, where's everybody at? What are y'all doing? Like, I'm supposed to have people over. Um, so we, it's very intentional for us. Um, and the, when we first started that, people would come over and they'd say, but where do y'all really live? And like, what, what do you mean? Like, what, I know that you, you put stuff in this house for, for ministry, but where do, you, where do y'all live? Right now, this this is where we live. Like, if we we're going to stage this, it wouldn't be this messy, right? This is this is actually where we live. Um, but it was shocking to people in our community that that we would have a house that we slept in, we lived in, my children played in, um, and we would have people come into our home and share our space with us. Um, and and it was so radical for them that it that it opened their hearts to to what we had to say. Um, so hospitality is, is an incredible tool for us um, in our context. Uh, after that. Um, we communicate the gospel. We, we, we open our mouths and, and share the gospel. Um, and, and this has been natural for us because people know, like, some y'all are a little weird. Like, why are you so weird? Why are you letting me in your house? Why, why are we hanging out so much? Why do you care about me? Why are you praying for me? And they'll ask me that, and I can tell them the answer to that question. Um, but, one, but one thing that I learned that I thought was, was powerful, um, in my context, trust is key. Um, they've heard the gospel. A lot of folks have heard the gospel. It's probably true for most of our contexts. Um, but they they need to trust me to know um, that what I'm telling what I'm telling them the gospel is because I care and I believe it is what they need um, for their lives and their eternity. Um, and I learned this from the the barber in our community that I go to. Um, he and I were talking, and he said, you know, every young man that comes into this barber shop when I cut his hair, when he gets up to leave, I tell him I love him. And he said, uh, every young man that does that, I say, man, I love you. And he said, most of them say, thanks, pops, and walk out. He said, but every now and then, after they come for a while, and I've proven myself to them, sometimes they'll say, I love you too. And when they tell me that I love you too, I know that I've got their heart. And I, and I, and I received that, and I said, when, when I, so every person I'm talking to, every time I'm meeting with a young man or, uh, or a man, and, and, just, uh, and sharing the gospel with them, spending time with them, watching football, when they leave my house, when I leave the conversation, I say, I love you, man, and give them a hug. And when they say, I love you too, I know that their heart is open to receiving the gospel from me. Um, so trust matters, um, and that's how I communicate um, the gospel. Um, discipleship, uh, we, this was frustrating for me. I had a plan when I showed up. I was going to do this to make a disciple, and I was going to have all of these disciples. Um, and the plan 
gets really thrown off track when you're supposed to be talking about the importance of giving or generosity, and they show up in their wreck because their friend got shot the night before. Like, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but we're talking about giving today, right? Like, it doesn't, it's just, you, you can't always do that. Most of the curriculum I found was not culturally appropriate, um, and, and it just didn't translate um, well to the context. So at first, I was like, well, I'm going to have to write my own curriculum, and that's going to be miserable. Um, and so I started trying to do that. But then God showed me that every time I was interacting with someone, life was the curriculum. People were saying, I'm going through this, Pastor. How, how can you help me talk, talk me through this? Um, so I said, okay, well, let's see what the Word of God says about that. You, you feel like God is telling you you shouldn't do this? Let's see. Yeah, he says you shouldn't do that. Or you feel like you should do this? Let's see what he says. You should do that. Um, and, and discipleship happens very organically. Um, the, the beautiful thing about that is you have to know your Bible uh, to be able to, to, to point them to truth that's relevant to their, to their life. You don't just have to know what the curriculum was for that day. You have to know your Bible. You have to be spirit-led. And you have to be prayed up um, for what you encounter. But for us, discipleship, uh, life was the curriculum. Um, we have a men's and women's Bible study. The men, we sit on my porch um, or in my backyard. Um, and uh, now that it's cold, we, we light a campfire and, and we just talk. Um, and for men to have a place where they feel safe um, to, to communicate what's in their heart. Um, if you've been a part of a men's group where that happens, um, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and my wife, she meets at a laundromat um, with some folks, and, and they do laundry, and they study Scripture together. Um, and that's what discipleship looks like for us. Um, gathering started out in our home, uh, a handful of people in our home. Sometimes people wouldn't show up, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but we, we would have people into our home for worship. Uh, then we moved to a recreation center that the director graciously let us use. Um, and now we're in the fellowship hall of a, um, a church that had a great influence in the community in years past and is now aging and being very generous um, with their space, but we gather um, together as a church. It's very, um, people ask, can I come visit your church? I can say, you can come, but, but it's, it's, it's not nearly as polished as, as, as you're going to be used to, to seeing. Um, we, we, pray for, we, we have a time for prayer at the beginning. Everyone's praying for each other, different needs. Um, we talk through that. Um, people are very vulnerable and honest about things. Um, we have a time of generosity. Uh, you, you need some diapers. You got some extra diapers. Let's see, see how the Lord provided right there. And we give God the glory for those types of things. Um, we have worship and preaching um, and fellowship. Um, but it's a very informal thing. But we looked at Acts, um, Acts 2. And we said, all right, what, what, did, the, what did the church do? Um, there's lots of great things uh, in, in different cultures that they do. What's, 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 what do we have to do to be a church? And how does that look in our culture? Um, and we sought to do that um, as we gather. Um, every six weeks or so, we have what we call a round table. Um, I don't know how it became called that, but we just sit around. Um, we, we eat a meal, and then we get in a circle, and we say, this is what's going on in my life. This is how I'm seeing the Lord work. Um, this is how I'm not seeing the Lord work, and I need, need your encouragement and your prayers. Um, and that almost always ends in, in tears and laying on hands. And um, this past, uh, or Sunday before last, we did that, and um, someone was grieving the loss of his friend. Um, and he ended up coming to Christ as a result of that. He's getting baptized this coming Sunday. Um, and so, so God, God does what, what he said he would do. Um, and then for multiply, plant, and exit, uh, we're not to that point yet, but I'm just, uh, discipling a guy right now who feels called to leadership, um, going through leadership development with him. And my hope is in our community, transportation and logistics are a problem. Um, so we want to have lots of these types of communities that are accessible um, to, to everybody. So the hope is to train him up and, and allow him to start one in his neighborhood um, as well. Um, so uh, these all of the same elements, right? Um, when I showed up, I had a plan. We were going to do it this way. I printed out nice pictures, cool font, colors, presented to people. This is what God's going to do uh, when we get there. And he was like, no, I'm not, 
I'm not doing that. That's cute that you, you typed that up, but I'm not doing that. Um, and so we, we grieved a lot. We tried to force the square peg into the round hole, and it wouldn't go. And God was like, would you just, would you just let me do this? Um, and so uh, this is the, the model that we've, we've uh, fallen into. Um, it's messy. Um, you invest a lot of time in someone, um, and then you don't see them again. Um, someone walks away from the faith. Someone says something hurtful to you. Next week, they love you. Next week, they're hurtful to you. Y'all know. Y'all have been around people, right? That's how people are. Um, it's not as clean as, as uh, most programs would have you believe, but, it, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, and that's what it looks like in our context. Um, and Jason's is, is very different, and he's going to tell you his story as well. Don't pay attention to this outline when I'm talking because I'm not going to follow exactly what Joe did. Um, not because it's not important. Um, I say this not really tongue-in-cheek, but just reality. Uh, our church planting experience uh, is vastly different than anybody that I've ever met. Um, and so I'm just going to give you a brief history of, of, of our church, uh, all our well-intentioned plans, and what God did um, in the midst of that. So um, planted out back in 2015, and uh, obviously before we planted, we prayed and asked God where he'd have us be, and uh, God in his sovereignty led us to Pocket 32, which is a South Fork community in uh, Winston-Salem, and a uh, very diverse community. I'll talk about a little bit more, more about that in a minute, but I uh, felt very um, sure that's where God had wanted us to be, and so we landed there. We were meeting in a, uh, a an older Baptist church that had uh, decreased a lot in attendance, and they were letting us use some of their space on Sunday nights, and so we dropped guns a-blazing as any church plant does. All the plans and you know all the strategies and you know you kind of have this field of dreams mentality. We're going to show up. The gospel's not being really preached in this pocket of lostness where about eighty percent of people are unchurched, and we're going to drop in and we're going to start preaching the gospel and serving. And the hordes of people are going to surely come our way, which is what you always imagine. So we did drop in. We were serving at the local elementary school. Um, we began trying to plug in some of the things that we had learned through our trainings and our leadership's development as a church plan and a core team. And we had all these plans and these strategies that they teach you and kind of kind of get you uh, ingrained with, which are great and helpful, and I'm grateful for them. Um, and so we had this motivation and eagerness to engage this very eclectic pocket called Pocket 32 uh, in Winston-Salem because, you know, we believe God was going to do, you know, as we often pray abundantly more than we can ask or imagine, and we believe that and we trusted that. Uh, but God's plan for Tapestry Church was vastly, vastly different than my plan. And so some of you know our story, some of you don't know our story, but our first 26 months as a church plant were not full of community engagement. It was not chock full of all these radical salvations you pray about and ask God for. Now, I say that, that we did do community engagement, and we did do some events, and we did partner, we did serve at the school, we, we did see people saved and baptized, and that's all, we did rejoice in all that. But actually, our first 26 months as a church were full of tragedy and suffering. Just abject tragedy and suffering. I'm not going to belabor it, but I I told Joe, I said, unless you know our backstory, it's not really helpful. And so in our first 26 months as a church, we went through a failed merger with another church plant. We got evicted from the Baptist church that we were meeting at with no reason why. Uh, We had to become a... Uh, mobile portable church plant meeting on Sunday mornings with an official launch in three weeks' time. So we knew exactly what we were doing, as you can imagine. Had no equipment, had nothing. And in three weeks, I had to figure out how to be a mobile Sunday morning church. That launch went out the window. You're just trying to survive. Within a month of being at the school, which is where we ended up being, one of our elders' dad died right after church. We had a young lady die in childbirth. 
Uh, we had a new single dad. Both mom and the husband were both brand new believers, and he had a new baby. We had a man whose mom was murdered. We had a baby die after 33 minutes of being born. We had another baby spend 60 days in the NICU in our first 26 months, which is not in any book that you have read. And it absolutely decimates every strategy that you came in with. So for those first two and a half years, we just had to survive. Bearing the guilt of, God, this is a pocket of losses. You called us here to engage, and we are incapable of doing anything. And so I am the anti-type to all the church planning things that you maybe read about because our story was not fun. And I confess publicly all the time, I, was, I have been so jealous of other people's stories because it's not ours. And so for those months, we just loved each other. We were grief-stricken. We had all this tragedy, and we just learned to cling to one another. But all of our strategies went out the door because we, we couldn't do anything. We were a band. We had 22 adults, like 16 kids, and we just had to survive. Uh, and people were very gracious and helped us and all that. But God's ordained plan for our church um, was not any church planting model or training that I'd gone to. But here is what God began to do, that he put us in this community, and God's plan for our church was sanctification and maturity through the furnace of suffering. Um, and nobody wants that. I mean, how many of the prophets of the Old Testament really would have signed up for that if they had known ahead of time where it was going to lead? We all assume grapefruit and, not grapefruit, grapefruit and all the things that God is going to do because you're obediently saying yes and going into a community that desperately needs the gospel and surely God is going to give you all the good things. And, and that was not God's plan for us. And so I tell you all that because we had this preconceived notion of what it meant to engage our community with the gospel um, and we assumed we knew all the things that were right to do right off the bat but for more than two years we were just incapable. Um, so we, we just trusted God. We leaned into one another in our community. Um, we knew God was doing something in and through. But we weren't sure. But God was doing something through our suffering that was bigger than what we can imagine. And I tell you this, in the last probably two years since we had kind of the last tragedy, God has begun to show us why he allowed some of that suffering. Um, because the last couple of years, this is what God has begun to do. Um, because here's the deal about our community. Um, there are no common watering holes in South Fork. There's a little park across the street. Uh, there's a little diner, but, um, you know, not many people go there. There's really no grocery store. There's no Starbucks. There is nothing there that gathers people together except the elementary school where we worship. There is no common culture in this community because there's so many different cultures. The elementary school has 50 nationalities in over 30 languages which we thought, man, Revelation 7, God, you're going to give us the nations, and it's going to be this beautiful picture of the gospel all up in this tapestry church, and it's going to be great. But as we got there and we had to suffer and realized we don't even know how to engage this many people with, this, with such distinct, uh, unique personalities, cultures, and languages. I served as a proctor, which is sanctification, if you've never been a proctor in an elementary school testing environment. And in that one classroom of eight kids, seven of them were not American. Egypt, Costa Rica, uh, Thailand, and like four other nations were representing that one classroom in this one school. Um, so the nations are there. But what God has began to kind of teach us as a church and reveal to me um, 
It's what's interesting about with all these nationalities and all these cultures and all these uh, languages that are in our um, kind of our circle of accountability and our pocket of lostness. No single strategy would have ever worked there. It just would not have worked. No single plan would have worked um, because every culture is so unique and distinct. But do you know what translates every culture? Don't give me the answer yet. And do you know what every ethnicity in every socioeconomic group relates to? Suffering and brokenness. Um, that's not what I signed up for. Um, but every single person on the planet knows what it means to have loss and to suffer and to deal with brokenness. And so at some point we said we should change our name from Tapestry Church to Tragedy Church. I mean, we didn't do that, but we thought maybe that would be more apt for where we are. Um, but I believe now looking back, God ordained what we walked through as a church to mold us into a body of believers that actually was marked with compassion. Um, that we would be a group of people uniquely positioned to welcome broken people with open arms, that we would become a faith family that could comfort people with the comfort that we had received, both from the gospel and for, from one another, that we would be a church that was marked with humility towards, in our community, a lot of folks that are kind of outcast, overlooked, marginalized, unchurched, unsure, struggling to hold on. See, we thought we were that church in 2015, and we were not. We were not that church. We were motivated, inspired, called, but we had not walked through the suffering necessary to learn how to love broken people. Um, and so God had to refine us and refine some of the pride out of us and some of the self-dependence and some of the, we got this figured out out of us so that we would be the type of church that he could actually use in this lost community that he planted us in. And so we're in this very diverse, eclectic community uh, that runs a gamut, so, gamut socioeconomically. And so I'm not, to be honest, we average on a good Sunday count all human beings, which we do because we're good Baptists, like 60 to 80 people. So we're not huge. We're normative. As someone said, we're not small. We're normative. Um, but I want you to get this. Here, last week in a worship service, here who, when I get up to preach, here who's in the congregation? A 10-time felon, a doctor, a banker, people under the poverty line, a Nigerian family, folks from Thailand, some singles, a cowboy. He never, and it, I didn't talk to him, but he, he was a cowboy, and then he left. Some grandparents, some widows, stay-at-home homeschooling moms, some large families, some single moms. A lady walked in who said, I'm looking for a metaphysical church. Is this a metaphysical church? I said, I don't even know what that is, but I'm glad you're here. And she stayed, praise the Lord, and heard the gospel. We, have, we even have some millennials. We have some foster parents some uh, families that have grown through adoption, some sex trafficking victims who've been saved and set free were all in our service last week. And we had like 60 people. And so, and what's interesting, every one of those families and every one of those people, if you were to sit down with them, is brokenness and suffering. And you know what the cure to brokenness and suffering is? The gospel. And so, it was a beautiful, literally, tapestry of people. Um, I, I'm learning to celebrate the small victories because I've compared my story to everybody else's story so long. I spent a whole year, I think, depressed after I walked through all this tragedy because I wanted the story of the guys in my city who had success on paper that I didn't see. And so, and then you read when God tells uh, Timothy and Paul, shepherd the flock that's actually amongst you and not the flight that somebody else has. That's super convicting. And so God has taught me to love my people um, and to, to love the brokenness that we have walked through as, as a church because everybody who was in that congregation understands brokenness and God in his sovereignty and maybe in his sense of humor has woven our stories together 
because every person in our community from all the nations, uh, every single person needs rescue and redemption, right? It's true in your community. Every single person needs a hope the, that the only the gospel can give. They need the, to know the reality that only the gospel can help them endure suffering. Only the gospel heals wounds that tragedy inflicts, and only the gospel gives satisfaction, joy, and contentment. Um, so God is producing in, in, our, in our midst this divine community that would not be together apart from Jesus, which was my prayer when we started. I just kind of forgot about it. God, would you make us to be a church that, that, that has a group of people that would never hang out apart from the gospel, but he chose to fulfill that in his own way, not in the way that I thought he was going to do. But our prayer, it, it, trying to somewhat answer some of this. So my, I, 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 I struggle to say my plan or my goal because God laughs at my plans and my goals, apparently. Um, but my heart for our people is pretty simple. I want our people to be transformed by the gospel so that they're equipped to reach people just like them and absolutely different than them. So that our people would grow in their understanding of what they've been saved from, for, and to. That they've been saved from death and brought to life. That they've been saved to be both a worshiper and a witness. That they've been saved, and we say this every week, you are now sent to be a missionary disciple maker where you live, work, learn, and play. That is what we say at the end of every service. You are sent to be a missionary disciple maker where you live, work, learn, and play so that every man, woman, and child that you encounter would have an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. You see, we are begging God to give us the nations that live in our community so that Revelation 7 will come fruition in our midst. But guess what? He does not owe that to me. Um, I long for the day when that room is full of every tribe, tongue, and nation that represents the people that live in our context, from those that live in, in the almost Section 8 housing across the street to those who live in the more, we have more than 15 multifamily housing units within two miles of our church. We've done some ministry there. Joe has helped me do that, which has been incredibly helpful. We have $400,000 condos across from the church, where we, from school where we meet. Um, we have people who live in small mill houses, and all of those people desperately need Jesus. And if you can get them all in one room, that is nothing but the gospel. It's nothing but the gospel. But God does not owe that to my church or your church. He is not beholden to my wishes. He may give us glimpses of it and sneak peeks, but he may not ultimately give us what we thought he was going to give us. Because perhaps what he's ordained for our church is a different story in the story of the community of South Fork. Because guess what? When you read the Bible, he never tells you to bear fruit. He tells you to abide. And he also tells you to be faithful. And to stop comparing what he's called you to to what he's called somebody else to and just be faithful to make disciples where he has planted you. And there's one passage that's become really sweet to me recently. Um, it's kind of given me some perspective um, after we've walked through what we've walked through. And it's uh, 1 Corinthians 3. Paul's right to the church at, at Corinth, and they're having these divisions, to, kind of getting, you know, lining up behind different people. I follow Apollos, I follow Paul. And this was Paul's response, and this is giving me a lot of perspective. He says, What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So what that tells me is, I don't know what role Tapestry Church has in the Southport community. We thought we were there to plant and to reap. Perhaps we're there to plow. 
Plowing is not sexy or cool, and it's hard work. But God does not owe our church all the fruit that we think He owes us. So we're called to be faithful, to make disciples who make disciples, to gather faithfully as a church, to meet in homes and missional communities, to disciple one another in DNA groups, to be in the Word, and to be equipped as missionary disciple makers where we live, work, learn, and play. But I'm going to tell you, no strategy and no plan will always work the way you think it's going to work. And so you have to embrace whatever God puts in your hand, even if it's suffering, and say, God, whatever you want to do, I trust you with it. Um, And I tell you this, and this is a side note, not in my notes. The ramifications of walking through that tragedy are still very much felt. We have people in our church who three years ago had never been to a counselor, who had never been on medication for anxiety or depression. And I can't tell you how many capable, confident, well-equipped, godly, Jesus-loving, Bible-reading people in our church are still reeling from the effects of tragedy in our church. But God will not waste it. And He's still redeeming it. It's not pleasant, and it's not always fun, and it's not always what you want. Um, but I believe that God, as the scripture says, God never wastes anything He walks us through. And so um, it has been an interesting journey, <laughs> um, but God has been so very faithful. And so as you think about Pocket 32 in the South Fork community, we would cover your prayers as we get you to do ministry there. So, so um, you know, the, could, could, could God use you as, as the missionary to commu- your community? The answer is yes. Um, these, we, you, you know how it works. Go grab a tool that fits your community, um, plug it in these places. Um, you know how to do it. Um, you do. The, the question, the answer to the question really comes to, are you willing to tell him yes? Um, are you willing to say, are you willing to say, God, if it means that I have to suffer in ways I never thought possible? Yes. Are, are you willing to tell him yes? Um, are you willing to, to go out on a conviction that God has said that we are to love him and love people? Um, and that we are to make this, go and proclaim the gospel and make disciples. I believe He has commissioned me to do that, and I believe that He has commanded me to love Him and love people. When people aren't lovable, we wake up and say, gosh, I can't stand these people today, but I'm choosing to love them because you told me to, Lord. Give me the strength. Give me the heart to love them. Are you willing to wake up every day and believe those convictions? Are you willing to, uh, to sacrifice? Sacrifice the comforts of your, your, the refuge of your home, uh, that pretty carpet, you're going to get some mud stains on it. Um, those nice, quiet dinner, dinners that you've had um, might, have, have, might have a lost person cussing at the table. Um, are you willing to, 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 to sacrifice that? Are you willing to sacrifice your time, your margin? Um, are you willing to sacrifice energy when you're tired and you just want to sleep and, or, or watch TV and, and someone knocks on your door and says, Pastor, I need to talk to you? Um, are you willing to sacrifice? Um, are you willing to persevere? Um, it's not clean. It's not messy. You will have your heart broken. Um, you will have a moment of joy. And right when you think, man, I can soar all the way into eternity with this joy, this wind that God gave me, you have your knees taken out from you the next day. Um, I can't tell you how many times me and my wife have looked at each other through tears and said, God, we need to pray that we can show back up tomorrow. Um, are you willing to, to say yes to that? Um, are you willing to, to pursue and ask God for a capacity to love, a capacity to have compassion and, and friendship and, and, and to see the Imago day in people when all you can see is the things that bother you um, and the inconveniences, are you willing to ask God for that? If, if, if you can ask Him to make all of those things yes, then you are equipped with all you need to be the missionary to your community. 
Um, are you willing to say yes, I think is, is, is how we want to spend this time. We could give you tools and things that we've used, all kinds of uh, products, books, and I brought some books if you want to look at them, but the, you, you know, if you're following Christ, you know the gospel, you received it. You know enough for you to be an attorney, you know enough to share it with somebody else. We know the steps, but are we willing to say yes, count the cost, um, even if it, if it costs great suffering? Um, so we want to have a time of, of, of questions, thoughts, um, Corrections. I'm sure we messed up lots of things, but yes, ma'am. I must tell you from experience as a missionary, you must meet the person's physical needs before you can address the spiritual needs. Mm-hmm. You can never talk to a person about God's love unless you can show them that you can also meet their physical needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what the, the learning the community. Um, don't, don't assume you know what those needs are. Um, learn the community, talk to people, ask people. If you are a part of the community, you feel a lot of those needs yourself. Um, and, and then ask you. This, this is the prayer we prayed for a year. God, show us uh, what glorifies you in this community. There's things in this community that bring you glory. I know they are. Help us to see those and celebrate those. And God, what grieves you in this community? What breaks your heart? What is not reflect, where's What's broken here? And how can we lay our lives down to, to step into that and meet those needs? Um, and, and he, we, he answered those questions for us in very specific ways. Um, but yeah, it, 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 you have to know your community and, and how to stand in the gap. It's a good word. Thank you. What else? You stand up. You have more answers than I do. Yes, ma'am. Can talk about, um, and I've heard that um, this word's used a lot while we were here. Missional community. Hmm. How did that, um, how did you get that thought? Concept. Well, I came up with that. No, I didn't. That's not true. It's <laughs> not true at all. That is, take that off the record. That's not true. Um, it's something that I think some churches out west were doing, and the concept is, you know, as a church, we only have the only space we have is a space we enter on Sunday morning, so we don't have a building or any of that kind of stuff. So um, we meet people's homes, and we just wanted to be intentional, um, and we wanted those groups and those homes to have a missional component. So it would be a place where um, people that we were trying to engage with the gospel would feel welcome. And so those groups gather twice a month for food, fellowship, prayer time. Um, to encourage each other to be on mission with lost neighbors and co-workers. Um, and, and I'm going to be honest, to put all my cards on the table, our initial goal is that those groups every month would serve together somewhere missionally. And we have failed miserably to see that actually happen. And so every model that sounds well and good doesn't always translate great to your context. We still gather and we still call missional communities because people are living on mission. It's just not as, as beautiful and fluffy as we originally thought it was going to be. Um, but you could call it lots of different things, but we just wanted to be intentional with our people that, um, that we wanted them to be living on mission and encourage each other consistently. Who are you, who's close to God, I mean, close to you, but far from God that you're praying for and trying to reach with the gospel, uh, who can we pray for together? And that way you can celebrate together when God does something. Um, there's also a safe place. Somebody might be much more quick to come share a meal with you than they are to come to church with you. So that's just kind of the heart behind it. Um, what are the questions you guys got? I'm excited to hear about mission communities and that kind of approach. I mean, it's not approach, it's a biblical model. But my son's a part of church plant out west, and that's exactly what they do. And I am so blessed every time that. I'm to visit there and participate in that 
what you're doing. Right. Meeting um, in the homes. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a weekly ongoing, and, and they, they do ministry together, and mm. they invite neighbors and coworkers, and it's all the same. And it's just a beautiful mm. thing to mm. be involved in. And mm. I mean, you're doing life together. Right. You know, so that's right. So, Great job, God. Thank you. Using the Michael. Awesome. So, for those of us that are not planting a church right now, we're in a church that's already established. Um, as you started to gather followers in your churches, you know, we know we're supposed to learn the community, right? We come at it from a gospel perspective of learning the community. But trying to, for people that are already in the community, that know the community in one sense, but don't know it through the lens of the gospel, um, do you have you had struggles with that, trying to help people in your community start to see their community through that lens and ways to overcome that? Does that make sense? You mean... Uh, so they live there, and then they come to know Christ. Okay. Um, but they've always saw their community a certain way. That's good. And then trying to help them to see their community now through the way Christ sees their community. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is that a struggle? Have you found that to be a struggle for you guys at all, or, all, or is that? Um, yeah. I mean, the you, um, when people come to to faith in in my community, um, the when any community, the context that you used to be in um, and the things that you used to do, you now know. I, I, can't and shouldn't do those things the same way anymore. Um, and so we have to be open to them, to, to a space for this new community, right? So they come to us, um, and the initial reaction is, I want to get away from all of those things. And in some senses, uh, it's necessary, um, you know, if, if there's gangs or um, addiction or things like that that we see. Um, it takes some time for them to mature. You don't want to be like, oh, cool, now go right back and... Um, and so we've had to show people uh, or talk with people and say, this is what you were saved out of. Right. God saved you from this. Um, it's quick. It's crazy how quickly we can become arrogant or prideful about about who we are. So God saved you out of this and he can do this in your community. The community is not the problem. Um, the, you know, the people's hearts and broken, sinful hearts are the problem. So helping people to see what God has done in their life. Um, is important because we quickly think that we did it. I don't know how, how, why that's wired into us, but we quickly think that we um, played some significant role in that. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. It might be different for us, but for people to, their initial reaction is to want to run away from it because it's bad. I don't want to do that anymore. Um, and, and for, there, there's something to celebrate in that. Um, but for helping to see, yeah, but God got you out of that. Um, and He can do that for, for your neighbors, your friends too. That may not have been. This doesn't really answer your question, but. Which is okay because I know you, so it's going to answer your question. Um, but what's interesting, when we, right before we planted, I was in that community looking for a place for us to gather, and I met a lady who was a member of a church that was close by, and she had a storefront, and I was talking to her about it. She said, what are you guys trying to do? I said, we're going to plant a church here. And she looked at me, and she said, why do we need more churches here? We're good. Because I think some people in our churches don't realize the lostness that's actually around them. I'm like, you live in a community that's been identified by the denomination that you're in a church of that says there's 80% of the people who live here that don't know Jesus. And so sometimes I think our people just have assumptions about the community that they don't realize they're actually lost. And so I don't know if we're just practical universalist. I don't know if we just don't really believe people go to hell. But they do. 
And I think we, we operate like practical universalists. We know the gospel saves, but do we also believe that sin condemns? I don't think we always know the lost in our own I think you're right, too. Yeah. And so I think just a healthy re-understanding of who actually lives in the community and that most of them, the vast majority, probably 8 out of 10 people that you will pass today do not know Jesus. And so sometimes you have to get your congregations, or whether it's your church plan or established church, it's not just that the community changed uh, ethically or demographically, but lost people are lost people, and they literally live all around you. And the vast majority of your people in your church do not know any of their neighbors. I guarantee you, if you give them a piece of paper on Sunday and said, I want you to list the five neighbors that live closest to you by first name and last name, they cannot do it. So if we're not going to live as missionaries where God has planted us in our homes, we're not going to live as missionaries around our churches. So just practical understanding of the lostness, I think, that lives around us um, gives our people a perspective of why, why we need to be on mission. So, Satisfied with how we didn't answer your question? Yes, sir. Having seen those challenges of being an awareness of the community in which you live, I live in Henderson, mm-hmm. North Carolina, and have had people in our church, which is about 85% white, or about 15% African American coming mm-hmm. to our church. But some of the people would come and ask me, Pastor, what can we do to better reach out to the minority in our community? And I said, You mean the white people? Because Henderson is 60% African American, 30% white, 70% Hispanic. Wow. But because the people they spend their time with every day, or eat at restaurants with every day, or have in their homes, if they have anybody in their homes, look like them. They, they assume that's what our community is when it's not at all the reality right. of people who live around us. Right. And just just that awareness true. is a stretch yeah. and yeah. a challenge as a pastor to try to just elevate even just that kind of awareness, let alone then trying to have an impact in the community. Absolutely. Absolutely. Got like two minutes. Time for any other questions? Um, we'll close with this and you can pray for us. I was uh, talking to somebody earlier today. Um, so the, all of the difficulty and, and the hardship, um, and it's a, it's, spiritual warfare is real. When you, like it, it is. Um, and, and there's so much darkness. Um, but there will be moments, like when we were in that circle two weeks ago, and this guy's just weeping, and, and he says, I want Jesus to save me. Um, I, I'd, I'd suffer as many days as, as I was called to to hear to hear that to know I'd be able to spend eternity um, with with my friend and now now my brother. Um, but I was talking to somebody today, and, and even if to, to be a missionary, we have to understand that God gets He has called us to do this, and He is glorified in our, our obedience, us saying yes. So if we have difficulty after difficulty. And run into hard ground after hard ground, um, but we go to bed every night praising a Jesus that we have served and He was glorified by our yes. Um, are you okay with that? Um, if are you okay with knowing that He is pleased by His children obeying Him and He's getting glory from that? Um, and if you can answer yes to that, man, you every day um, you will be empowered to go and to make much of Jesus. Um, and the gospel is the power of salvation. And you'll have those moments where um, I need Jesus to save me. Um, it'll, it'll, it'll all be worth it.
Um, so we would just want to encourage you with that. We, we have no silver bullet, no perfect book to hand you. Um, but we got a perfect Savior. And, and, and we just want you to cling to Him, obey Him, um, trust Him when it doesn't make sense. And, and everyone around you is weeping. Um, grieve to the glory of God in those moments um, and show up. Uh, preached on this this past Sunday, and uh, I'm not going to preach right now. I'm going to read it, and we're going to be done. Uh, I could. I'm not going to. Um, uh, the reason we need to be missionaries where God has places in our communities is because what David says in Psalm 32, 1 and 2 is not true of most everybody that you encounter. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Most people you know don't know that blessedness. And you don't know it because you're so great. You know it because God has been very gracious to you. And we need to be made aware that we have people that we pass every day. The reason we're called to be on mission where God has placed us is people need to taste what forgiveness really tastes like. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your, your love and your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. God, thank you for your commitment to your own glory. Thank you that you um, save and redeem and rescue lost men and women, boys and girls, every single day. Um, Father, I pray that you would find us faithful where you have planted us in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our churches, that we would be simply the people that Jesus talked about, that we would see people the way Jesus saw people, as sheep without a shepherd, that we would be people who are marked with compassion, that we that have tasted and seen that the Lord is good would be so compelled and overjoyed to tell others what that is like. So, Father, would you help us to lead and model um, a missionary life, a life that is dependent on you. Um, Father, thank you uh, that not only do you save us, but you send us. And may we be reminded that you did not save us just for ourselves, but you have saved us for the benefit of others. And may we live like that is true. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.